And one of the reasons why we don't typically um, get into lengthy conversations with brand new agents is because their expectations are all cattywampus. Yeah. They're upside down. You see TV shows where real estate is this big, glamorous, exciting all the time, fast cars, big houses, money, money, money. And that's just not the daily reality. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser. Listen in as I interview leaders in our industry, getting their stories and their journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 232 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. I'm here in Orlando today in a beautiful recording studio, and we're going to talk a lot about this, um, interviewing my guest who happens to be like an integral part of, of the building of this space. So it's going to be fun talking about it. His name is Jason Schmidt. Jason is president and the designated broker of Stockworth Realty Group. Jason and Stockworth have amazing backstories. I can't wait to talk about them. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Bill. I'm excited to chat with you and be on. Yeah. This is cool. Look, there's you have a story that's going to be very fun to tell. It, would, you, would you agree with that? It's I've had an interesting go at things, All I right, would good. say. Yeah. yeah, I like that. You live and work here in the Orlando area. I do. Uh, can I assume a native Floridian? I am. I was, I'm one of the few born and raised in Orlando. Wow. So that, that is unique. Let's talk about that. So you've been in Orlando for, I don't know, I'm going to say since the 80s sometime. Yeah, since the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was born at ORMC. Uh, my parents, when I was young, moved us out to Claremont, uh, you know, suburb of Orlando, very uh, fast growing area now. Yeah. Um, but it was a quiet, sleepy town then. And that's where I grew up. And that's where my childhood was, you know, running around lakes, swamps, dirt, mud, all of that good stuff. It was, it was a good childhood, a good way to grow up. As a relative newcomer to Florida myself, I've only been here since 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an operation in Claremont, and I was blown away by the hills. Yes. There are hills in Florida, and mm-hmm. I can see downtown Orlando from Claremont. You can. The moniker of the city of Claremont is Gem of the Hills. Gem of the Hills, yeah. yeah. So, or it was then. But I think they may have changed it now. <laughs> so it's, they went out and found an agency to make it a little more modern. They could have, yes. Yeah, yes. that makes sense. It's a marketing exercise. I, I have this question for someone who grew up in the Orlando area, right? Mm-hmm. In the shadow of Disney. Yep. And and I, I I would think there's good things, bad things, and probably ugly things <laughs> about living near Disney World. You know, the largest theme park in the world. Yeah, you have an answer for that question. Uh, so my mom career long with Disney. Uh, out of high school, she worked for Disney World, moved to LA for a period of time, worked at Disneyland, moved back and was back with Disney World. So she's been with Disney for 40 some years. From that perspective, Disney was very critical in providing me the lifestyle I had when I was a kid. Um, so so there's a lot of benefit there. Disney's one of the largest employers in the area. So of course, Disney has built-in economic benefit to just the greater Central Florida reason, as does you know, Universal and any of the theme parks. But with that, of course, you comes a lot of traffic and and noise and tourists and all of this. But you know, it, it the good far outweighs the bad. I think. Yeah, I, I mean, like for for somebody who grew up in California, Southern California, Disney was ninety minutes away. Okay. Um, so we're now in St. Pete, which is about ninety minutes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've managed to visit all the different areas. Sure, it's a sure. completely different animal than what what Walt built in California, obviously. Oh, it's it, the the infrastructure in Central Florida for Disney is massive. Yeah. I, I mean, it 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 is several cities. Large. I mean, it, it's very significant. I try to explain to people there are actual highways, like oh, yeah. freeways inside their property, mm-hmm. like that are not controlled by the state. They're controlled by Disney. Yeah, those are their roads. Yeah, but they're freeways. 
They are. Okay. It's, it's, it's very hard to distinguish when you leave public transit and you enter private property. Yeah. 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 So you've, you've really done a lot of different things in, in real estate. We're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to find out from, from my guests, were you thinking about this as a kid, like 15-year-old Jason? Were you thinking, man, I can't wait to get out there and start doing some real estate work and some anal- analysis yeah, work yeah. and working commercial? Uh, the, a- <laughs> the answer is most certainly no. Okay. When I was 15, I had wonderful dreams of being a rock star and touring the world and being a famous musician and all of that. And I was, you know, that was going to be what I was going to do. And there was no question in my mind that that would be what, if if I were sitting here now, what I would be doing as I grew up and, and became more productive in the world as, as it happens. Uh, it didn't necessarily work out that way, uh, but I'm glad it went the direction it did and, and the experiences I've had along the way. I don't think I would have had uh, one, if it weren't for my early passion mu- uh, for music, uh, and then second, how that took me in different directions and allowed me to meet different people that caused me to be sitting here along the way with you. Right. We'll talk about that. Let's 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 take you up to to college. You stayed local. Yep. You went yep. to UCF. I did. Let's yep. talk about the the days at UCF and and um, you know what? Once again, music was probably your your focus and your passion then. It was. I was a I was a, a guitar performance major. I mean, I I I was in kind of keeping with I was. Going to be a rock star. I'm like, if I'm going to be a rock star, I'm going to be the best possible rock star I can be. I'm going to go get a degree in music, so you know my my knowledge and my skill set is beyond reproach. And then that that attitude is is something that I've kept along the way. But but at the time, it was just how I was going to qualify, if you will, uh, my drive and my passion. I was going to go get a degree in it. Yeah. I, just sitting here talking to you, and I don't really know this for a fact, mm-hmm. but you 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 talk like an engineer. You talk like someone who really likes to be very specific about things. I do. I I I <laughs> I, I get some flack from time to time because okay. I qualify almost everything I say, and I tend to not like things to go out unless they're of a certain quality. And okay. that has set me back a ways because you know nothing. Very few things can be perfect, and when you try to micromanage things to a level of perfection you often introduce more problems than you solve. And, and that's been a big challenge for me personally and professionally to get that part of how I think and how I work just out of the way so I can focus on driving the ball forward. It's really how you're wired, though, if you think about it, right? And the fact that you're as talented a musician as you are is part of that. Uh, the fact that some of the things you've done here you know, in the last 15, 20 years, it's all part of that process. So while it's once again, maybe has some negative moments. Sure. Overall, it's Im- Im- immensely positive. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. look, I, I, I can't complain right now yeah. where I sit and I've had some great experiences. Yeah. Let's talk about after school early in your career, right? Yep. So you're still, the band's probably still going and the name of the band was, is or was? Uh, the most successful band I was in was a band called the Ed Self Band. Okay. Uh, Ed was a uh, actually my first guitar teacher. So I was, so when I, I started taking guitar lessons when I was a, a small small child, but it was more for my personal benefit. Uh, when I decided I wanted to study music in school, I, I knew that I needed to have a, a professional teacher that would prepare me for what academic an academic musician's life would be. Okay. So Ed was my first teacher. I, I, I went and started taking lessons with him when I was 15, 16, took lessons with him for a couple of years before I started music school. And uh, when I was 18, uh, I remember the day quite vividly. I had just been accepted to UCF uh, into the music program 
And it was the same day Ed asked me to be in his band and be his lead guitar player. And I was, I was really excited. And it was a really, uh, a really cool moment for me. I'd played with him before, just like step in and play and, and some of this, but that was like my, my formal invitation to be a member of the band on the same day I was accepted into the UCF guitar program. So it was, it was, it was a cool, cool day. And, and, you know, played with him for, uh, you know, of course the years prior and then a few years afterwards, uh, uh until, uh, decided that business was going to be the focus I took. Did, did the student pass the teacher? No, like this, the, you know, there's, I, I suppose with every student teacher relationship, there are parts where you get to a certain level where there's a jockeying and jostling back and forth yeah. between mentor, mentee, student teacher. Um, and I think that it is only in those scenarios when both are cognizant and both view each other as peers versus there being a hierarchical relationship okay. where that's that's where I think the real opportunity and benefit for for growth and uh, on both sides and particularly in business if you look that way right. I think that's where uh, the greatest capacity for for you know I say moving the ball down the field a lot but yeah, good. the greatest capacity for moving the ball down the field and being productive for your employees and productive for your family and productive for people in your your personal life and yeah. um, you know that cognizance that awareness uh, in the in the music context um, I think we just grew apart a little bit you know it was just a natural evolution of things there was no there's no any one person uh, above the other. Um, I wanted to, I decided I want to go a different a, a direction and they, the band at the time wanted to go a different direction and we're all still very, very close friends. You know, we hang out, our families know each other, you know, uh, Ed uh, and our drummer at the time were in my wedding. So there, there's no, no bridges burn, no love lost, you know, yeah. was, you know, we're still very close. Somehow we got to get you into the world of real estate. Yeah. How does that happen? Oddly. Uh, <laughs> So I was in college, and as any good college student is, typically I was extremely broke, and uh, I was in band with Ed at the time. And Ed's booking agent at the time is very close friends with Mark Hayes, the owner of Stockworth. Okay. And Dargan is his name. Dargan was approached uh, by Mark about finding a band for this event. What came to be Mark's engagement party, where he proposed to his wife, and um, Ed. Uh, Ed was given the opportunity by Dargan to do that. And I met Mark through rehearsals in, in getting prepared for that event. It was through music and meeting Mark through music that ultimately led to finding out that Mark needed some part-time work. And it was just as a laborer. Like I was busting up concrete and hanging drywall and digging holes and cutting the grass. I mean, there was nothing romantic or, or sure. overly exciting about it. I wanted to do a good job. Mark and I started talking and, and um, getting closer and developing a, a closer relationship. And one day he asked me if I had any interest in real estate. And I think my response was something to the effect of, will it make me more money? And, and that's really kind of how it started. And um, But I, I progressed pretty quickly from there. Uh, he was working on some very exciting projects. At the time, I had no idea how significant these projects were. I was just a kid in college getting mm -hmm. thrown into what turned into large-scale mass economic development, commercial development projects. And I just became accustomed to working in that space and working around uh, he and, and uh, those he worked with at the time. And uh, was lucky in my ability to progress with them quickly. I had a lot of good mentorship and a lot of really solid guidance along the way. So I didn't make a lot of mistakes that allowed me to exist, I suppose, until you develop that degree of depth that will allow you to really succeed and, and um, 
make it a career. Yeah, you. I don't. I don't think you're underselling it. But um, I mean, you're you're a CCIM. Mark's a CCIM. Mm-hmm. And for for those in the real estate space, that's the one designation that for me that that makes a difference. I mean, it's let's talk about that for a second. How did that process? Yeah, th- there aren't many. You know, mm-hmm. in in the residential space, I can say this with experienced conviction now. Okay. Uh, there aren't really any designations that mean anything in the residential space. There are a, There's a lot of alphabet soup. And because there are so many, it dilutes the value of any that are really trying to be productive and be help grow the individual, I suppose. Right. And a lot of that is very few of them require any degree of testing. Very few of them require any, or none of them that I'm aware of require any portfolio experience, uh, you know, proving that you have X deals or X volume or any of this X experience, X ac- academic, whatever, you know, insert mm-hmm. qualifying marker here, here, and here to earn a CCIM designation. A CCIM is a certified commercial investment member. Uh, you not only have to go through their academic track, uh, most of those who go in to a CCIM program are, you know, they're finance guys, MBAs, those who study economics, that sort of thing. It's a very analytically driven practice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a uh, an academic coursework you have to go through with them. But even if you pass all of that coursework, you then have to submit a qualifying portfolio that allows you to, you know, be worthy, I suppose. Um, uh, it has changed over the years. At the time I took it, you there are three different tiers to get in. You, you had to, within the last five years, close one deal, uh, 30 million or more, close 10 deals, combined, I think for 50 million or some, or you had to have like 40 or 50 just aggregate deals altogether, regardless of value. Uh, But it it takes people generally a lot of their career to get there. And because I was so lucky and fortunate to have been in that space early in my career, I was able to amass a lot of that, that portfolio experience younger than most people would have and allowed me to earn that designation before a lot of others do. Right. Your initial contact with with Mark um, was revolved around Isleworth, correct? The initial contact with him, no. In the, I started with Mark in the commercial space. Mark was okay. a part of. Uh, he was a uh, a consultant for the Tavistock Group. Tavistock oh, gotcha. is a that's right. uh, global private equity firm. They're in dozens and dozens of businesses uh, or industry sectors, rather, all across the world. Uh, real estate being one of them, and Tavistock is the developer for in the Orlando area what we call Lake Nona. So Mark was hired. Uh, in those early years, uh, I call them, uh, for land acquisition, economic development, studying, uh, those sorts of things. And uh, so those were the commercial projects we were involved with early on. It was later in 2008 or 9 when Mark was first approached by Tavistock to become the president of Isleworth. It took a couple of years. I think that there was maybe an apprehension at the time thinking of leaving big, large commercial development, economic development, infrastructure projects, those sorts of things to sell Holmes, uh, Rasesh Thacker, the um, he's a senior managing director of Tavistock today. Sesh and Mark are very, very close friends, and uh, I think he and he and Mark had a conversation one day about how, though these may be homes, the people you're dealing with are incredibly sophisticated. They're the same people that you work with on the commercial and development side of things, uh, and frankly, the homes that you're selling are kind of of the same value as many of the businesses we are working with and. And are selling. So uh, 
I think after some jockeying for a little while, Mark Mark agreed to take it, and uh, that was a fun time. So in 2010 was the beginning of Mark assuming the uh, role of president for Isleworth, and uh, at the time, Isleworth was no different than any other uh, uh, real estate market. It suffered the same pain from 2008 as 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 everybody else, and when we stepped in, uh, Isleworth, which is now a, a major luxury. Uh, community in the area, and it was then as well, but but its sales had declined considerably, and for five years we uh, doubled the sales in Isleworth year over year for five years, and it was really because we we took a, a very different approach to how you manage real estate, how you value real estate, how you sell real estate, and it was from the optics of being a commercial developer, uh, an, an economics analyst, uh, uh, a finance person. And and not so much as you know, you've got house A and you have house B and you know these are the comps and this is how you're going to value it and you know so this compares this that compares that we we uh, we looked at each home like it was its own business and we pulled out elements of properties that were quantifiable in this way or subjective in that way and and our valuations were built kind of in the same way that you would value a business you know you're going to value the assets right. you know you're gonna you're gonna value the liabilities uh, you're gonna value you know, the blue sky, uh, you're going to value all of these, these things that can be quantified or can't be quantified. And then you bundle it up together and then it turns into a marketing exercise and how you sell it. We found a lot of success doing that. I can imagine these CEOs of companies you're dealing with had to love the approach. It often brought uh, way more positive than negative, but it's, yeah. it is interesting though. And something that I found is when you leave the traditional way of doing things where, uh, a way that is so ingrained, almost everyone has some form of expectation. Um, they've had an experience with somebody in the past, so they just think that that is going to lead to their experience with you. And residential real estate is very much like that. Mm -hmm. You know, agents tend to be uh, different iterations of each other. There's there's a lot of hurting in in how real estate agents are managed by companies and brokers and all of this. And uh, what we would find is, though, many people. Uh, had a very positive reaction to it. Some took it as an opportunity to really dig in. Yeah. And and oh, well, what is that? Oh, are you sure that that's right? And yeah. it, so there were there were times that it was uh, it helped you sharpen your blade a little bit, where right. where you really had to in the exercise of trying to quantify sometimes the unquantifiable, um, having really sharp people dig at you and really push you to be right and push you to to give them real information, uh, you know, I think is one of the other experiences that has allowed us to be successful in the areas we are today. Let's talk about Stockworth. Let's talk about uh, how that transition from, from Isleworth yeah. to Stockworth occurred. So Stockworth is a Stockworth is a company that was formed by Tavistock in 2006, and the name is Tavistock and Isleworth, and they they were brought together. Um, I don't know who within the organization then came up with the name, but but that's that's its origin, and it was not to be overly fluffy, I guess, but it was a really a, a trying to pursue excellence in, in every possible way. When Stockworth was first formed, no agent was allowed to take a listing under a million dollars. It was very very much built to take the overflow business out of the Lake Nona and Isleworth Country Club. So somebody would come into one of the country clubs, um, they wouldn't find something that they necessarily liked in there. So Stockworth would be the um, next line of defense in keeping that business in-house and being mm -hmm. able to nurture that business. Since then, we've grown. Uh, we, we cover all areas of real estate, all sectors, all, all classes and types. We have a property management company. You know, because of our background, we still are quite active in the commercial space. But it was, it was in 2000, um, 
15 that Tavistock was uh, restructuring a bit. In that restructuring, Mark made them an offer to buy Stockworth from Tavistock. Luckily, they accepted. And so Stockworth is now privately owned, uh, and it is it is ours, I suppose. Yeah. A broker, <laughs> how many agents in your brokerage? We have 16 active agents right now. Okay. Um, we would definitely call this a boutique brokerage. Yes. We, <laughs> we are not... Um, we really like to focus on on quality, not so much quantity. Our business model isn't isn't driven around agents. It's driven around uh, business and and service of that business. And we have a lot of repeat clients, a lot of referral based business. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't benefit our model to have fifty agents, a hundred agents, are you know financially or otherwise. It's it's not the way that that we work. For me personally, uh, particularly in the position that I'm in now with the organization. Mm-hmm. I can be hard sometimes because I, I really want to focus on people bringing the best out of themselves in a business context. And you don't get that kind of pushing when you're not in a high pressure corporate environment. So we came from that environment. Yeah. So it's, it's it, to a degree, it's ingrained in us a little bit. And I found the general business of real estate a little noisy and scattered and not focused. The way real estate companies are, are organized right now, you know, not to get too down far down the rabbit hole there, but I don't believe in that philosophy. So we want people who are committed to being the best versions of themselves, who are committed to be the most sophisticated as they can be, the most nuanced as they can be, um, the most uh, humble as they can be. And that's kind of ingrained into how we do things. Sometimes we're, sometimes we're tough, but everything we do is, is driven towards a family centered thing. You know, because we're not a big company, uh, in the context of real estate brokerages, we're like a family. Everybody knows each other. Everybody knows each other's spouses. Our kids hang out with each other. Uh, so it, it, it is, it's a, it's a great place to be. It's, and it's, it's why we do what we do. And because of that, we're able to give our agents a lot. The space we're in is a part is it's a, it's an asset to all of our agents. It's just a part of what they, what they do, our infrastructure, our technology, it's a hot button word today, sure. um, uh, is all in the spirit of, of driving the best out of people, not because we have a bunch of people. You mentioned quality. We're sitting in a space right now that I've been in a couple times blows me away. I mean, I'm sitting in a a, a three camera setup audio video studio as mm-hmm. we're recording this episode of the podcast. This this is a, a lot of this vision yours. So, Mark in 2000, uh, I think it was about a year into uh, Isleworth. I think it was 2011 or so. Okay. Realized that marketing in general, but particularly real estate, because at that time, you know, now today videos everywhere, you know, really high quality photography is everywhere. But Mm -hmm. at the time it really wasn't. I mean, it was very niche, very sophisticated and polished areas of the market that had the audio visual that we have today. And in 2011, we started hiring um, third-party vendors, videographers, photographers, mm-hmm. all of that to try to pull together what has come to be what we have today. But it was it was piecemealed. Like you'd have a great thing here, but then that wouldn't be so great. And then you'd have a great thing there, and then, you know, that wouldn't be so great. Right. And uh, over time, we realized we needed to bring more of this in-house to really be able to control the output and have the output be consistent and have the growth of the organization and the growth of the product be consistent. So it was... A couple of years later, we started renting cameras and doing it ourselves. And, you know, in those some of those early phases, that can be a little messy. Um, so we did some things that weren't awesome. But as we progressed and as we got more fluid into what we were doing, you know, quality started uh, consistently 
ticking up quite a bit into what we are in right now. Um, you know, we have a full-time production staff uh, that, that manages all of this for us and, and does a really great job. In the early stages of this building, we had talked about in, in, in the early context of our conversations being that we needed to transition to video in, in you know, a meaningful fashion. Uh, we realized that just doing it with third-party vendors and such wasn't going to work, but we needed a physical space to do it in. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky in some of my early music years in that I spent a lot of time in recording studios. And I spent a lot of time with, with audio engineers and, and building out those kinds of systems. And one of the early things you learn if you want to be an audio engineer worth your salt is signal flow, okay. right? Like, yeah. so you got a thing, it goes through a bunch of stuff and then it goes to an output someplace, yeah. but video is no different. You know, you got a camera, a camera is going to go through cables and routers and all this, and that's going to end up someplace. We were able with, you know, Mark had a, a great vision to build this. Um, I was uh, lucky to have had some experience in the past on building rooms like this, not exactly like this. Um, so we, we kind of had some food fights on what we thought the perfect iteration of this would be. Mm -hmm. And we just went to work and built it. We spec'd out all the cameras and the switchers and computers and audio gear and, you know, mapped cabling and all of that. And here we are. Wow. Let's, let's talk about um, a spinoff of, we'll call that of this wonderful work that's happened here. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about platform creators. Tell me what that's all about. So platform creators, uh, we don't like to use the term agency so much because okay. Agency gets centered. You get kind of pigeonholed. And mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of uh, fantastic agencies out there uh, who do really, really great work. But in our own hiring of a number of agencies over the years, we didn't have somebody who was able to do what we needed done. So we're like, well, we'll just do it ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. and that's kind of become our mantra with a lot of things is, you know, if we can't find somebody to do it. We just need to figure out how to do it ourselves. And Platform Creators is really out of a, uh, it was out of a business need for Stockworth. All of the production stuff was in the spirit of giving as much value and as much exposure to our agents as possible, knowing that video was going to be the thing. You know, video, of course, now is in the context of social media. So how do you manage social media? And it became this big puzzle to unravel um, and figuring out how to do it on scale across an organization with a lot of different people and a lot of different personalities and a lot of different content types and, and all of this was challenging. So uh, platform creators, we kind of put together to solve that problem and, and to unravel some of those challenges. So mm -hmm. we're a creative consultant, you know, but we, we try to focus on adding as much business value as we can. So the clients we work with on that side, Stockworth being the largest uh, of them, we try to really get into their business, understand their business so that we can design creative content around a business focus. So our first line approach to things isn't make it pretty and wonderful. Pretty and wonderful is great, and it has to be pretty and wonderful for people to engage with it, but there needs to be an actionable message in everything that we do. And you need to be able to, if you're putting out content on social media, let's say, in one of the noisiest spaces there is in the digital world right. nowadays, right. Uh, you need to be able to be very focused, direct calls to action, provide immediate short value. Um, you know, there's a reason why, like Facebook, for example, measures view times in, you know, seconds under five. Uh, and, and that's a measure of attention span and or uh, just noise. You can scroll endlessly. That's the birth of platform creators. And we're, we're very fortunate now to have some wonderful clients we work with trying to add as much value to their business as we found it provides to ours. Uh, you also are doing some other things, right, uh, to, to get your name out in the community. Um, mm -hmm. Like, first of all, 
I want to talk about this, right? This is I have this in my hands, and it's uh, for those listening, and it's it's called the Schmidt Report. Mm-hmm. This is very impressive, and it's a it's I like the subheader: your tool to understanding Central Florida's real estate market. Yeah, this this is something you you prepare and create, and this is that this is that part that side of you that we were talking about earlier, right? That it, really wants to prepare something that's top notch, yeah, valuable yeah. that people can use. Talk about the what this what this is doing for you uh, and the company. Its its birth was a hybrid between what at the time our agents at Isleworth and Stockworth together needed. Uh, in the early years of Stockworth, uh, uh, Stockworth and Isleworth were in the same building, uh, Isleworth Realty rather. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of cross pollination back and forth. You had you know agents chatting with each other, and I would encounter a lot of similar issues or similar questions rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the market, what's happening, what's going on, why, that sort of things. How do we think about projecting into the future? What, what, what does this data point mean? What does that data point mean? And, and, and not just saying, well, this data point means this, but this data point means this because of that, that ultimately leads to that. So that started as one page. And I took some of our, our um, primary markets, what I'll call, which at the time were just communities. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I would just lay some simple statistics across each other, very base level, I'll call them, and understanding real estate markets, you know, inventory, absorption, time on market, things like that. Sure. And over time, I would get another question and then another question. And so they went from one page to three or four pages, and then three or four pages turned into 30 or 40 pages. And it is now something like 290 pages long. Uh, it's pretty It's pretty robust. It's pretty comprehensive, I'll call it. And I, yeah. I look at Orange County, uh, particularly in Central Florida, uh, and I look at 10 submarkets. I, I only focus on Orange County to do this uh, because Orange County represents the largest percentage of real est- re- residential real estate transactions uh, in Central Florida. Uh, and in our, the market space we operate in, uh, or most of our business is in Orange County. So this is a tool for our agents okay. so they can dive deeply into data and analytics in any of their submarkets, any of their farm areas. So they're equipped with the tools and skills and knowledge and you know what we what we call market intelligence to go uh, make real recommendations, give real advice that's rooted in fact, not rooted in narrative or or conjecture or anecdotes or any of that. Are you saying that happens out there? Is that no? It ne- I've I've personally oh. never seen oh, it happen. Good, good. That's it. Uh, but I've me. I've heard that it has happened on gotcha. occasion. Gotcha. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> like Jason, I. Uh, this, this is amazing stuff. Uh, I've I've had you well beyond the time I think I asked of you. So I want to. Oh no, let's. I'm uh, I'm good. Let's good. keep going. Well, let me let me. I want to ask you the the same question I've asked every guest, right? Yeah. And it's um, it's going to be a, a different question for you, I think, mm-hmm. um, because I'm, I'm going to assume you don't deal with a lot of brand new agents. Generally, they might have experience, or do you, can can someone be new? And you're gonna you want to mold them. You see something in them. The only time we will talk to what I'll call brand new agents yeah. is when they have previous business experience where there is uh, there's a baseline in, in knowing what hard work is and what work ethic is. Real estate is not an easy business just to step into yeah. and kind of going back to how operating models are different. You know, it's challenging to make a career, a lifelong career in real estate. Um, you, you know, you have to weather up markets, down markets, find ways to be competitive in all of them and being brand new to this business with no previous business experience is it, it, it's an uphill challenge at best. There are brokerages um, that handle that. And there are some wonderful training. Head, organi- off, head off to those training. Brokerages. Yeah. There are some yeah. wonderful training organizations out yeah, there yeah. that will give new agents the skills that will, you know, hopefully give them, uh, 
over time. Yeah, Ho- hopefully give them the, push them in the right direction and um, you know give them positive encouragement and, yeah. and expectations and such. But we're not we're not what I would call a training organization yeah. um, because you know we're we're all running fast and to take a lot of what we're doing, we need people to step in at a coachable level. Mm-hmm. So not a trainable level, a coachable level. So someone who who has some skills and we can take uh, a base level of business and then double or triple that base level of business. But going from zero to a base level of business, that's just a product of time and it's a product of training. And um, you know, we find that expectations are often not quite aligned. We do t- We have taken brand new agents before, but like I said, with a, a past business experience or with a referral from somebody whose reputation is just beyond reproach. Right. If you were going to give one piece of advice mm. to a new agent just starting in the business, what would it be? One of my big mantras is, is it a reason or is it an excuse? And that all comes down to expectations. I say expectations a lot because the you know you can be successful in business and not be a great salesperson and, and not be a great analyst or any of this. But if you set the right expectations with people, you'll likely have a much greater opportunity for success down the road. And one of the reasons why we don't typically um, get into lengthy conversations with brand new agents is because their expectations are all cattywampus. Yeah. They're upside down. You see TV shows where real estate is this big, glamorous, exciting all the time, fast cars, big houses, money, money, money. And that's just not the daily reality. And we find people think real estate's a get-rich-quick scheme, like that you can hop into real estate, flip some houses, make a lot of money, and it's amazing. Um, it's one of the most competitive business, uh, business sectors I've ever encountered. I've looked at a lot of them over the years in a lot of different ways. Margins aren't huge, and you've got to constantly be out in front of the next person yeah. if you're going to stay competitive. And new agents, it's going to be, make sure this is the business you really want to be in. Find a mentor. Find somebody you can talk to who's got experience in the business let them give you a real day in the life. Like you got to get up at this time. You need to do this. This is what prospecting looks like. This is what a transaction looks like. This is what, uh, you know, on any given day, a real estate agent has to be a market expert. They have to be a counselor. They have to be, you know, uh, a courier, you know, the number of hats you have to wear is mind boggling. And it, it takes a certain type of personality to be able to succeed in that, in that type of world. It's not show up at nine, do these three things and then go home at five. You know, you need to be rounded in a lot of different areas and you can only get that context as a new agent. If you get that context from somebody else, because if you just are thrown from, you know, the frying pan into the fire, nothing good comes from that. Tell me, do you do, you do any speaking? Do you, are you out there talking at, uh, to different groups, you know, either on the commercial level or the residential level? You know, I'd speak, I think you should be. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I speak to our company a lot, but, but getting out and speaking is something that is on my radar now. Good. Uh, you know, Mark is Aggressively nudging me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Mark a little bit. You're yeah. being very kind, I think. Yeah. No, yeah, he's good. <laughs> he, he is, yeah, he's being very, um, very consistent in his telling good. me I should be doing that. Yeah. Well, how, uh, anyone listening to this episode, how do they get in touch with you? You can email me. My email is jschmidt at stockworth.com. Uh, our, our main office line is 407-909-5900. But uh, I'm happy to chat with people about a lot of different things. I get I get emails and calls from real estate agents and other companies every now and then just asking for advice on this, that, or the other thing. They, they, you know, saw me on some video or, or one of our agents said, you know, you want this analytical answer. Maybe Jason might be able to help you. And I, I just enjoy talking to people in, in, you know, the areas I'm interested in audio, video, uh, analysis, tech, happy to chat with anybody about, about most things in this business. 
Jason, thank you so much for your time today. This really was one of my favorite episodes. This was so fun to yeah, come in here. Yeah, have this, this whole cool. setup. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Bill, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com slash RE sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to the realestatesessions.com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released.